Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Patrick Halford is a British author and entrepreneur who endorses uh, natural products and then, I suppose, good food, uh, vitamins, etc., to help the body heal itself. He's an advocate of alternative nutrition and diet methods, and he appears regularly on British television, radio. He has 36 books and 20, in 29 languages. Actually, 37 because he has a new one out, and he joins me on the line. Patrick Halford, how are you? I'm very well. Good evening, Niall. Am I right? Is this the 37th book, is it? No, actually the 44th. Oh, what well, you've got, sorry. Well, then my information is completely wrong. I'm just going to scrap that and throw it in the bin. <laughs> Do you know why they're testing the vaccines on primates? Why? I Well, see, I've often wondered about this, right? I, 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 didn't, I didn't want to get into this as a topic at the moment, but however, it seems you're going down that road. I mean, yeah. I, I'm assuming that some animals, it's not all animals, have a very similar, you know, nervous system, digestive system, um, I don't know, different types of systems. Uh, their brains are probably similar in some way. Some animals, particularly the likes of pigs um, and primates in particular, I suppose, to ours. So I suppose they'd rather an animal die than we die if they get it wrong. Well, I think, yes. I mean, uh, quite a few of these vaccines have proven quite disastrous in um, certain species. The reason why uh, they are now being tested in primates is very simply because we are a primate and we don't make vitamin C. Every animal on this planet, dogs, cats, rats, sheep, goat, you name it, they make vitamin C. The only animals that don't make vitamin C are the guinea pig, and that's why it became the guinea pig for experiments uh, because it has the same chemistry as us. Oh, is, the that where they, is that where that cliche came from, to use a human exactly. guinea pig? All right, okay. Exactly. And uh, fruit-eating bats, and we can talk about bats. They've well, been well, very well I think they've been in the news quite a lot recently. And there's four they new really ones. Have. Four new ones and have been discovered. Leaf-nosed bats have been discovered more recently. Uh, right? Almost all bats don't make And, uh, you know, primates, uh, there's a bird, a jungle-dwelling bird called the red-vented bulbul bird. That doesn't make vitamin C. And what happened, my, my teacher, I mean, I have to tell you about this. Um, there was a man called Dr. Linus Pauling. He's the only man ever to have won two unshared Nobel Prizes, and he had 48 PhDs. And uh, when Einstein, he is the father of modern chemistry, the father of molecular biology, the first guy to work out how genes cause disease. He, uh, everyone knew that Ether made you unconscious. Nobody knew how. He worked out the chemistry of unconsciousness. That was the birth of modern anesthetics. And when Einstein was asked, are you a genius? He said, excuse me, if you want a real genius, it is Linus Pauling. And I met Linus Pauling in the 80s because in the 70s, he spent the last 39 years of his life, I mean, this absolute genius chemist, working on nothing but vitamin C and viruses and cancer because he found that all animals that make vitamin C have virtually no cancer and are very protected from viruses. So, I mean, let's be clear. If COVID virus is around us, it's around our cats, it's around our dogs. You know, they're also exposed. We're not worried about them. Well, there has I been, there has been, well, they've said there's been one or two cases in, you know, domestic animals like cats and dogs. A tiger actually was mentioned in New York, wasn't it, that got, allegedly got COVID-19 as well. Was that the one on the Netflix series? <laughs> I'm not too sure if it was the one on the Netflix series. <laughs> but, but, no, but, I mean, but, but hang on, Patrick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to, I, I, I know you want to talk about cancer, and I know you want to talk about COVID-19, uh, yeah. but there are more pressing things as well, because I've talked about on the air uh, the balance, uh, when we talk about lockdowns, and we spoke briefly earlier on this week, and it, it's not that you disagree with lockdowns, because you don't. You believe the only thing at the moment to protect our health service, you know, the lockdown is probably something we yeah. needed to do initially, right? Uh, but when we talk about lockdowns, lockdowns have affected people's health in other ways, their mental health. And many people mm. around this country had a woman on the air the other day who said she'd never suffered from depression in her life and she mm -hmm. cried her eyes out on the air. She was so upset at the very yeah. fact of looking at the same four walls and not getting to see her daughter and the things mm -hmm. that we have taken for granted in life, uh, some of it materialistic, but otherwise maybe just going on holidays, going for a walk, going to work, our schedules, everything has completely been turned upside down 
and her, our minds, uh, you know, which are quite limited in their capacity, find it very difficult to handle it and our mood has dropped. Now, you told me during the week that a lot of this can be prevented by the food we eat and what we take. I mean, so how directly does what we digest and what we eat affect our mental health? Uh, it, it does to an incredibly large degree. Um, I mean, uh, let me give you maybe a, a clear example on this. Dementia, Alzheimer's, right? Today in the UK, uh, we, we will have 800 people diagnosed with dementia, which will lead to Alzheimer's. So we're talking nine double-decker buses worth of people. And if you ask the average person, well, let me ask you, how much of Alzheimer's do you think is caused by genes? Well, well, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but just from what I believe, I imagine, well, I would imagine all of it was genetic. I thought that Alzheimer's is something that's genetic and maybe it might skip a generation every now and again, but I believe it is genetic. Okay, it's 1%, and this is absolutely established. There is only 1% of Alzheimer's is caused by genes. In other words, one in 100 people who develops Alzheimer's develops it because they have certain genes. So the biggest, the single biggest driver of Alzheimer's disease is actually things that we can do something about. Now, in America, they have the big National Institutes of Health. It's, it's, you know, it's the most respected health organization in the world, really. And they attribute 22%, almost a quarter of the risk of Alzheimer's to a lack of B vitamins, and particularly vitamin B12. And where do we get um, vitamin B12? Well... The point here is that B12 is in meat, fish, eggs, milk. So there's none in a vegan diet. If you're vegan, you have to supplement B12 or eat fortified So foods. does that suggest that vegans are more likely or more susceptible to get Alzheimer's? They actually are if they don't supplement. But the problem is not diet. In other words, it's not that suddenly everyone's getting dementia because they're not eating meat, fish, eggs, whatever. What happens is that, uh, um, and I'll give you the, the actual figure here in the study, and by the way, there's been very good research on this in Ireland as well. But in, in the UK, we had two in five people over 60. If you measure their blood, they have insufficient B12 to stop their brain shrinking. So it's not a diet thing. It's actually an absorption thing. The older you get, the less stomach acid you make, and without stomach acid, you cannot absorb B12. And to compound this problem, one of the most popular drugs that are prescribed to older people are, are what we call these antacids. They're called proton pump inhibitors. And yeah, I, take they, ne- I take Nexium on a regular basis. Exactly. Well, if you look up the research on Nexium, and there's no question about this. I mean, this it does relieve. It does relieve the symptoms when I get. I mean, I, it's yes. certain foods that tend to affect my stomach, particularly late at night, and I get this feeling yes. when I lie down of acid in my throat. So I, yes. I, t- I take Nexium, and it does seem to work. Yeah. So actually, there's a better way. I will tell you. But the point is that what Nexium does, it stops the stomach acid, and that makes you unable to absorb the B12. So there's a direct link. It's well established. But, but if I more, don't stop the stomach acid, well, then I end up with indigestion or I'll end up with this burning feeling at the back of my throat well, when I lie down. Let's, let's explore this a little bit more and then you'll understand how it works. Basically, stomach acid is one of the most important substances of the body. It's got four functions. So first of all, when you eat something like a piece of meat or some beans, um, which need protein, which has to be digested by stomach acid, the body produces the stomach acid, and the stomach and what, what, acid. Also, sorry for interrupting you all the time, but because I'm curious, what sort of acid is it? Is it hydrochloric acid? It's hydrochloric acid. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's actually called betaine hydrochloride, and what happens is that acid not only digests your protein, but also it kills bugs. It it, it it's like a sanitizer. Okay. You know, it it, it protects you from bacteria and from food and, poisoning, etc., etc. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we, now we know there's two things that stomach acid does. The third, of course, it helps you absorb B12. And the fourth is provided when you eat a piece of protein and your acid level rises, if it rises high enough, it actually shuts the valves at the top and the bottom of the stomach. So in effect, it closes off the stomach, produces more acid, digests all your food. That's what should happen. Now, if you don't make enough stomach acid, and by the way, from about the age of 50, uh, what we measure is less stomach acid production. If you don't make enough stomach acid, what's going to happen is, number one, you won't digest your food completely. 
Number two, you probably will end up with not the right bacteria in your gut. So when you eat, if you like the bacteria, eat it. So you bloat and you get gas and you get indigestion. Now, that gas has to go somewhere. So mm. what tends to happen is you belch. And that belching takes a bit of stomach acid into the throat so you experience heartburn. So the classic symptoms of underproducing stomach acid is actually a bit of heartburn, particularly after protein foods, not feeling like you're, you know, indigestion, maybe some bloating, maybe some belching. And of course, if you take a drug that stops you making any stomach acid, then you won't get the heartburn. So you will get relief. But it's exactly the wrong thing to do. I know, I know, I, I'm with you. And, and does, yeah. I mean, so, I mean my, is, is, there a, is there a connection between that and the fact that Irish people, or there seems to be a massive increase in this country, of irritable bowel syndrome? I mean, and a lot of people seem to, you hear a lot of people talking about the fact they have irritable bowel syndrome, which seems to be diagnosed for a lot of people in this country. No, it's, it's very common. And it can be for different reasons. But certainly indigestion of one sort is a factor. Another factor can be, you know, we've heard about the gut microbiome, the bacteria balance, that's another factor. Uh, also, you have in Ireland quite a high incidence of wheat intolerance. So there's a lot more, uh, there's quite a high rate of celiacs disease, which is a very serious wheat intolerance. So some people experiencing irritable bowel syndrome are actually reacting, um, they have an intolerance okay. or an allergy to a food. I so, so, what, so, what, so what's, what is the natural... So if I don't want to take my Nexium, and I'm going to come to how this affects our mind in a second, right? But if, yes. I, if I don't take my Nexium, um, you know, and, I, and don't get me wrong, I'm not eating it like Smarties or anything no. like that, but, you know, maybe once every five or six days I might get it or so. It depends on what I've eaten. So if I, if I, don't, if I don't take that, what am, what's the most natural way of me solving that problem? Okay. Well, yeah, first of all, obviously, I can't... You know, yeah, of course, you don't with, know me. <laughs> you know, what you say with your doctor. But let me take my mother-in-law, okay? She was getting, you know, all these symptoms, okay? And I said to her, right, what I'm going to do is to give you, and you can buy this in the health food shop, effectively stomach acid. It's called betaine hydrochloride. And you can buy these pills or capsules of betaine hydrochloride. So in other words, what you're doing is you're giving stomach acid. And, um, and she did that, and it all went away. Belching went away. Bloating went away, indigestion went away. And what, and, what about, and what about the food we eat? Can we avoid certain foods that that create that problem? Then, in the first place, I mean, or do well, we? I, are, is, is every person different in the kind of well, problems they have with foods? We are different. I mean, I went on. I was on GMTV uh, a couple of years back, and they gave me this woman who they said was the worst case of IBS. And in fact, shortly before the program, she told me she'd gone to this Indian restaurant, ordered a curry and a lager and some naan bread, and she bloated so badly, her, her, her trousers just split, and she had to make a rather, uh, you know, discreet retreat out of the restaurant. I can imagine so, and, yeah. And she was sure that she was allergic to wheat. That's what she thought, that it was wheat in, in the bread. And we actually tested her with a blood test. There's a, there's a lab called yorktest.com, and you can, it's quite cool because you can buy a kit, prick your finger, take the blood, send it to the lab, and they, they literally work out which foods your immune system attacks. And, that, and they can My, do that from your blood? It's from your blood, absolutely. Okay, okay. Yeah. And, um, and she was, in fact, reacting to two things, yeast and cashews. There was yeast in the lager, there was yeast in the bread, and there were cashews in the curry. She wasn't reacting to wheat at all. And when she eliminated wheat and cashews, I also gave her some digestive enzymes, because that can what help are they? the whole what, what, are, what are they? Well, it's a little bit like in order to digest, you need stomach acid. But, I mean, let me give you an example. Milk uh, has a sugar called lactose. So sugars like glucose, fructose, they always end in nose. Yeah, a lot of those and, are in fruits as well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the enzyme is a, is a thing that digests or breaks down something. So the enzyme that breaks down milk, lactose, is called lactase. So there are enzymes to break down sugars, fats, proteins, etc. Um, and the first thing I always do as a nutritional therapist, if someone has a digestive problem, is I give them a digestive enzyme from the health food shop because it, it's, if it works, it's going to work in 15 minutes. In other words, 
Um, I know a lot of people who, when they eat beans or lentils, you know, it's it's a little bit dangerous, you know, for them. <laughs> to say the least, and, yeah. You know, and they think they've got an allergy. Yeah, but I, I, I have that when I eat ice cream. I don't want to talk about right. my personal problems on the air. But if I yeah. eat ice cream or if yeah. I drink, for example, Diet uh, Coke or Diet 7-Up, yeah. uh, so I'm, yeah. I'm assuming it's the spartamine that's in it, um, you know, I need to be near a bathroom very quickly. Yeah, so, you know, all of this is solvable. Uh, and you're absolutely right. We're not all the same. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, those antacid drugs what we know they do is they inhibit your ability to absorb B12. And it is actually the lack of B12 um, that is one of the drivers of dementia Alzheimer's. The okay, other well, then it, well, if that's the case, Patrick, if yeah. B12 yeah. is something yeah. that you know, stops your brain from shrinking, as yeah. you say, as you get older, and there's no, yeah. there's no doubt about it that our bodies generally shrink anyway as we get older and, and, yeah. and things just don't work as well as they used to. Why don't we just take a supplement of B12? And why didn't somebody tell us that years ago? And sure, that would be the end of Alzheimer's forever. I mean, why, why is that not happening then? Okay. Ten years ago, I worked with a professor who was the vice dean of Oxford Medical School. He's the professor uh, emeritus of pharmacology, Professor David Smith at Oxford University. Ten years ago in September this year, he did a study where he took people with pre-Alzheimer's he gave half of them the B12 plus B6 and folic acid, it's another B vitamin, and the other half placebo. And what he, um, what he has now shown is 73% less shrinkage of the brain on the vitamins versus placebo and no further memory loss, right? So but, 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 if that's the, but if that's the case... And why don't we know about yeah, why, it? Why, why don't we know about it? Right. And, 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 I mean, I, and I, I'm assuming, uh, you know, I'm not being smart, but there might be some sort of conspiracy theory behind this. But, but I mean, why, why don't we know about it? Surely that would be something major that they'd want us all to know that, you know, if we took more B12, you know, from a younger age and we supplemented yes. our diets properly, you, that we wouldn't have these ailments. You're, I mean, you are totally right. You've just described my last 10 years of campaigning. If you had this professor, all of this is published in the best journals. The science is impeccable. And in the early days, he used to say, well, I'm sure it will you know, become standard policy in five years. It's been 10 years, and it isn't. There is, there is this block about the idea that vitamins could do anything. And well, I, well I've, no, I've no doubt that vitamins, because our body relies yeah. on vitamins A, B, C, yeah. D. Uh, we get yeah. D from the sun. We, we don't produce C. I actually bought vitamin C today, actually. Uh, we, yeah. don't, we don't produ- produce D. Oh, we, we yeah. get a bit of that from the sun. But I suppose our yeah. bodies, yeah. We we're probably designed to be naked in the first place anyway. But we do get a bit of it on our hands and on our face, probably yeah. for 20 minutes a day. Is that enough for us to get D, vitamin D? No, not no. in the winter. And actually, if you, if you look at the, this is all coming out in the news now, but basically if you look at the rate of, um, I mean, this COVID-19 thing. Well, I'll, uh, I'll, come, it, I'll come to that in a second, because I, I, there's a lot to talk about in relation to that. But, 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 yeah. if we, but if we, so are you saying that as human beings, because of the way we've evolved in the world around us, that's really to, to fight off viruses or illnesses or diseases or, you know, aging diseases, a, a lot of which are genetic and a lot of it, no matter what we do, by the way, we get, we'll end up getting it depending on uh, how genetic it is in our bodies. But are you mm. saying that we all should be supplementing our diets? I think there's two points to make here. First of all, when we get to talk on vitamin C, we've lost the ability to make it. And that is something you have to take more of when you're under viral attack. So we'll so park that one for a minute. The B12 is very specifically because we do know that people don't absorb it. So those two are sort of slight exceptions. But I'll tell you a a study, and it's quite interesting. It was done in the Victorian age. I mean, it was done now, but it looked at the diet of a worker in London in the Victorian age. So, you know, we're sort of imagining, you know, poverty and, and all the rest of it. And they looked at their intake of vitamins and minerals and essential fats. And this was done by the Royal Society of Health. And what they concluded was in order to achieve the same intake of vitamins, minerals, and essential fats that a worker in the Victorian age would have been achieving today would mean either supplementing or fortifying food. Now, the reason for this is very simple. We don't eat anything like enough food. 
Before we had cars and fridges, you had to chop the wood, fetch the water. I looked at a study in Greece. The average Greek was walking seven miles a day. Life was much more physically active. And, and we were burning we, off that energy as we were using it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were basically, exactly, we were basically expending two to three times more calories than we do today. So consequently, we were eating uh, two to three times more food than we are today. And were their their diets better than ours? When you look at Irish people, when they used to eat stews and coddles and, you know, pig's ribs and pig's feet and all, I mean, were their diets better than the the processed food we're eating now? Well, yes, of course, because the thing is, there's no fridges, there's no refining, there's no storing, there's no processed food. So it was all fresh. yeah, and you had to eat it. I mean, there is a, a rule in nutrition, which is good food goes off. You know, yeah. so you have to eat it first. So, I mean, it, you know, to take us back a little bit to the um, the old primates and the vitamin C, a gorilla will eat four and a half grams of vitamin C a day. Now, one gram is 20 supermarket oranges. In London Zoo, they actually feed um, 500 milligram tablets. That's half a gram, four of them they give gorillas two grams vitamin C supplements because that is what they need for a gorilla to be healthy. So the point is that uh, when we were running around the place, in the nip, we ate a lot more, all the food was fresh, and you know we could achieve a much, much higher okay, level. But, okay, so when we go back to vitamin D, and it, yeah. we're, we're not getting enough of that, obviously, because we don't get much sunshine in this country anyway. Uh, exactly. But, okay, but is there any evidence to suggest that people who live in the, the Costa del Sol, for example, or live in Florida, where they would have the sunshine state and have sunshine most of the year round, is there any evidence that they're healthier than us because of that? Exactly. Totally there is. And you, you can actually do two things. You can look at population's level of vitamin D in the blood, and you can plot uh, not only rates of cancer are lower in people with higher vitamin D, rates of heart disease are lower, rates of depression are lower. But also, I mean, why flu is very standard. You know, it basically hits in about December, January. It peaks in February. It's coming down in March. And it generally, it's gone in April and doesn't exist in May, June, July, August, September, October. It happens like that everywhere. But and is that not because many of these viruses can survive externally on, in warm weather? Well, what they've been finding, and I mean, there was just a big article about this in the, in the papers well, here. There was an article about COVID there last week, and it can't, yeah, they said it yeah. can't survive over 27 degrees on a surface. Yeah, yeah but this, what this study showed was that the people with high vitamin D levels, there was a very, very small percentage were converting into the serious COVID cases. And the people who did develop the serious COVID cases had very low vitamin D levels. And I think you probably have the story of the, you know, the darker your skin, the less vitamin D you make when you're in a country of this sort of latitude. If you, there is a belt around the equator where you just don't get these viral infections. Okay, so I mean, so okay, so if we want, I mean, everybody knows that you know your mother told you this, or when you were, you yeah. know, when you were getting a cold or you had a bit of a sniffle, yeah. you know, immediately she got the vitamin C out, or she, or my mother used to get these tablets years ago, halibut orange they were called, and yes. and you'd be fed those like Smarties by your mother, or she'd be yes. gasping orange juice into you and all sorts of things. So did that actually help then? Well, the thing is, low doses. Um, I mean, most vitamin pills out there. I mean, the point is, if you look at the HSE website, it will say you need 40 or 80 milligrams of vitamin C, which is what you're going to get in about half an orange. And the reason it says that is because there is this mentality that um, the only need of vitamin C is to prevent scurvy. That's what the pirates, you know, the sailors had, their teeth falling out and bleeding to death and so on. So actually, interestingly, the when you have scurvy, what you die from is pneumonia. That, that's actually what you die from. When and you is lack scurvy, is scurvy is a virus as well, is it? No, no, no. no it's scurvy a disease. is simply a lack of vitamin, okay. uh, vitamin C. All right, okay. Now, where this gets super interesting, I was um, on a phone call with a group of ICU intensive care unit doctors in America uh, who are actually reporting almost zero deaths in their ICUs with their COVID patients, and I I want to talk about why. But one of the things they've just finished is a study testing the vitamin C levels of their patients in the ICUs, and they did not find one um, who 
wouldn't be diagnosed with scurvy. Their blood levels were of vitamin C were undetectable. That this virus actually induces scurvy. But there's no doubt that if you load yourself up with vitamin C and you take the right supplements, that certainly your body is in a better position to produce antibodies and to protect you uh, from getting a virus. And and look, you know, unhealthy people are more likely to die from a virus. We all know that. I mean, that's that's quite obvious as well if our body is not capable of fighting, particularly those who are immune compromised. Well, but, I think that, but, but are, you, are yeah. you suggesting that by just taking, you know, a vitamin or vitamin C or a certain dosage of vitamin C that we're almost yeah. putting some sort of shield? Not that we won't get it because, you know, there's a, still a strong well, possibility you can get it. But certainly if you do, you would be asymptomatic. Well, what, what the studies show is if you take something like a gram of vitamin C, which is what the average pill is, every day, um, it's unlikely to prevent you getting a cold. In other words, if you take it and I don't, the odds are we'll have the same number of colds if you look at all the studies. And that's why you hear people say it's proven it doesn't work. That's true. What does work is if you take six or more grams, um, six or more vitamin C pills on the first day of symptoms, in other words, as soon as you start to get an itchy throat or a blocked nose or a runny nose, this is just this is for any cold or cough or flu or whatever. Any cold or cough, anything, any flu. The studies that have used six or eight or more grams. I mean, for example, one. Okay, very but but study, no, just to be conscious of this, because obviously I don't want people running out and munching vitamins. Uh, and obviously, for, for everybody listening, you know, you should get advice from your own doctor. I have to tell you that to get advice from your own doctor and nutritionist. But can you overdose on vitamins? Is it well, dangerous? This, this, can you can you actually take too much vitamins that would actually do you harm? This is the extraordinary thing. You know, 10 milligrams stops you getting scurvy. The RDA, I call it the ridiculous dietary arbitrary, is 40 milligrams. That will definitely stop you getting scurvy. Now, and then 100,000 milligrams or 100 grams uh, is non-toxic. So I've got in front of me right now the injectable vitamin C that doctors can prescribe. And by the way, if a patient has scurvy, and what I'm saying here is that almost every serious COVID patient has scurvy if they are tested. If a patient has scurvy, the treatment, the normal medical treatment is intravenous vitamin C. I'm looking at the packet right well then, here. Well then, well then why, Patrick, and I'm sorry, I'm, I, I don't mean to yeah. keep interrupting you because I'm just very no, curious about it. please do. Okay, but if that's the case, if you're saying that this is, yes. uh, I suppose, a part of the symptoms of, of a virus like the flu or like pneumonia mm. or like COVID-19, uh, which attacks the respiratory system as well, and I, I'll mm. come to why it does that in a second, uh, and you're saying that also these patients would most naturally have scurvy as well. Yes. Uh, I haven't heard of this, by the way. Um, no. Uh, but yeah. in saying, well, then why... Are we not just saying, as you know, when we have so many great minds around the world, we have immunologists, we have virologists, we have professors, we have everybody. Why isn't somebody saying, well, then, sure, look, the worst cases of COVID, why don't we just give them, as you, you rightly said, they're an injection of vitamin C? Why, why isn't that being done if you believe, and I'm just saying this is your opinion and your theory, uh, that it works? Then why isn't it being done? I'd like to tell you two stories here. First of all, yesterday I was on the on the phone to a, a Professor Paul Marrick. He's the Professor of Emergency Medicine and Critical Care at the East Virginia Medical School. I said, and what they're doing now, there's two parts to this, by the way. He gives intravenous vitamin C to all his ICU patients with steroids. Uh, this is cortisone. Uh, I need to explain that part. And I said, how many deaths have you had? And he said, 38 released, two deaths. Uh, and those two deaths were in people who were over 85. One had end-stage liver cirrhosis. The other had end-stage, I believe it was emphysema, lung disease. So two deaths out of 40. There's now a group of doctors in America who are the expert group um, on critical care for COVID. And they are campaigning really, really hard to get this change in what's being done. But but let me tell you first what but, happened. But Patrick, is yeah. our vitamins, and again, I, I apologize for interrupting you all the time because yeah. I'm just curious, but our vitamins and steroids naturally in, um, when, we, when we go into ICU, we obviously end up on a drip. Most of us would yeah. end up on a drip. So when we see those drips, uh, you know, and these numerous amount of tubes yeah. running into people in ICU, do they naturally put vitamins into those things or, you know, or steroids or what is normally in those drips for the unintelligent no. of us out there? Okay, well, what what 
there's a there's another half to this, which is this is all very very new, and and uh, I'm glad you're asking me. But basically, in the final, it's not the virus that's killing people; it's the immune system's overreaction. You might have heard it's called a cytokine storm, but basically, in the final stage of this viral infection, the immune system has this massive overreaction. You get a ton of inflammation, um, and that's actually what's killing people. Now, normally, if you have a lot of inflammation, the drug that's used is, is cortisone, or it's, it's usually called prednisoline. But basically, your body, your adrenal glands produce a hormone called um, cortisol. And it's, I mean, I was in a car crash a couple of years ago, right? And, uh, you know, the car was completely smashed. The police came along, and very kindly, they gave me a lift to the people I was having dinner with, and I felt okay until a few hours later when suddenly my body crashed and I actually was sort of reasonably injured. But the point is that was cortisol. That was the adrenal fight-flight system kicking in. That's what keeps you alive. That is your natural anti-inflammatory. Okay, similar to adrenaline, I suppose, in some sense. It is. Adrenaline is short-acting. Cortisol is long-acting. What they've now discovered is that vitamin C is stored and actually secreted from the adrenal glands. There's a 100 times more vitamin C in the adrenal glands than anywhere else in the body. And basically, the process of this virus so depletes vitamin C um, that the adrenals can't function and you can't fight. So you have to give the patient both steroid drugs, that is... Okay, and that's still, and that brings me back to the question I asked you initially. Then, plus if, vitamin C. Okay, you have uh, to do both. Okay, and, and, okay, and, and I get that, and, and I can't see any. I wouldn't see any reason why you wouldn't. Isn't it interesting? Okay, but but the point is, yeah. and go back to the original question I asked again. If that is the case, and that would reduce mortality, and let's be clear, no matter what we do, there are many people who are going to die yeah. anyway because some people have underlying conditions and unfortunately yeah. are very vulnerable. But if that was yeah. the case, and healthier people, um, could yeah. we could avoid death in healthier people? Why aren't we doing it? Well, I have to give you one, one more piece of information before we answer that. In January, when this was really kicking off in, in the town of Wuhan in China, um, they already had the experience from SARS in 2013 that vitamin C made a big difference. And on the 2nd of February, uh, they shipped, it came from the factory that makes vitamin C called DSM, they shipped 50 tons of vitamin C into Wuhan. That is 50 million grams of vitamin C. And in every major hospital in Wuhan, which is a little bit bigger than London, they gave every hospital worker vitamin C. They gave every hospital patient 6 to 20 grams. Okay, and for people who don't believe that, I know on your own site you have photographic evidence of that. So just in case anybody tries to to doubt that, okay. But also, what the you know the question the scientists say is we don't believe this. What we want, but I mean that. that but, what, but Patrick, it's all well and good saying they did that, and I'm not suggesting yeah. that they didn't. You know, I obviously yeah. I wasn't there. Yeah. And per- personally speaking, I don't have a huge amount of faith in the information coming out of China. By the way, it depends no. on what information you're looking at. But in in saying that, you know, they still had over three thousand deaths. Um, and they still well, people believe they may have had a lot more. By the way, and um, with no, a pop- I think no. I mean- it's, well, it's hard to believe with a population of 1.2 billion people in China no. that it didn't spread further. Well, what, I mean, there's a couple of factors here, but what I wanted to say was they started this a registered trial registered at the National Institute of Health, which is what we call the randomized placebo-controlled trial. So what they did is when they had people in the ICUs on the ventilators, half of them got intravenous vitamin C and half of them got sterile water in the drip. And is double blind, which means the doctors didn't know who and the patient didn't know who is the absolute gold standard of medicine. And about a month ago, Dr. Peng, uh, the professor at the University of Wuhan in the Zongnan Hospital, who was running this trial, he contacted a group of people, uh, including me, uh, uh, to release the preliminary results of the study. They actually had to stop the study early because they have run out of patients, and that's with a TS. Uh, For the last month, they've had no patients in ICU. And when he released the results, which is before publication, and obviously people will say, you know, we want to see it published, and it's quite right. 
But he, he contacted people around the world. We had representatives from New Zealand, from America, from Malaysia, etc. And he said he basically showed us the results. They had 24% uh, deaths in the vitamin C group. They had one-third less deaths in the vitamin C group. And he said, I'm telling you this. I am appealing to other countries to continue this research because we have run out of COVID-19 patients and you've got lots. And we need more people involved in the study to really, really, you know, solidify okay, okay. the results. All right. So, so that's what they did. Okay, so so your suggestion is that, look, everything is worth trying, of course, um, because obviously people are losing their lives. And if something is not dangerous to try, um, yes. uh, everything is worth trying. But getting, getting back to my very first question in relation to Why? lockdown and people's <laughs> mental health. Um, yes. How can we, you know, I hear people talking to me saying, you know, they're waking up in the morning, even though they're not working at the moment, they're waking mm. up in the morning, they're tired, their sleep patterns mm. have been destroyed, uh, they're going to bed at two in the morning because they're sitting up watching Netflix, uh, yeah. the kids are not in school so they don't have to get up in the morning. Everybody's life has been changed. So how can I supplement my diet, my food, my food intake to change that mood. Now, I know this is all covered in your book, by the way, and, and I'll get around to that yes. in a second. But, but if I want to, you know, if I want to wake up feeling fit and not be tired or, you know, be able to sit there at nine o'clock on a night off and watch television without falling asleep, you know, and have, you know, and feel healthier, how can I do that? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I know that's a very vitamin big question, but it's a very general no, no, question. Well, there's a few. I mean, vitamin C actually gives you a lot of energy. Animals make it from glucose. It's very, very similar to, to sugar. And one of the reasons the diabetics are doing so badly is that sugar and vitamin C kind of compete. So I've, I've had on my you know, Facebook loads of people are now taking more vitamin C and they've reported more energy. They've reported better mood. There's a link between vitamin C and mood. They've also reported less cravings for sugar. Yeah, well, so, I'm, I'm a sugar freak. I'm sorry. Four sugars in a cup of tea and I'll drink three cans yeah. of Red Bull every day as well, which doesn't yeah. help. Uh, well, no, I mean, and what happens if you know you're running on sugar and you're running on adrenaline, you're running on coffee and you're running on Red Bull? Ultimately, you kind of burn out. But I don't know what to say. You know, I'm 62 years old. I wake up early, full of energy. I have no health issues, and you know, feel good. I'll tell you the other factor, by the way, in the dementia story, is about omega-3 and fish oils. They're terribly important for your for the food. brain. Yes, we all I think for the we brain. All that, yeah. They're really, really important. So, I mean, if one was to say in a nutshell how to have a good mood, number one, don't eat lots of sugar. You need to reduce all the white bread and the white carbs and so on. Number two, make sure you get enough omega-3. So I want to have three servings of fish a day. And I want the mean fish. I want the fish with teeth, you know, the fish that eat fish. So I want mackerel or salmon or, you know, herring's not bad either, Mm -hmm. or tuna. You know, the tuna in a can is pretty useless, actually, for omega-3. You actually need a whole fish. So sardines in a can. Well, my father used to eat those things, those sardines in the tin, where you, yeah. roll, where you roll the lid back. Yeah, John yeah. West, yeah. And I'll tell you something really interesting here, because there's one kind of omega-3. It's called DHA. So if you buy a pot of omega-3, you'll see um, DHA on it. And, and 98% of the structural fat in your brain, in other words, your brain is built out of DHA, would you like to hazard a guess as to the richest source of DHA off yeah. the scale compared I, to everything? I have no idea. You're going to tell me, but I have no idea. It's caviar. All right. Okay. Well, it's well for some that could afford it, you know, Patrick. Isn't I, it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fish eggs. Fish eggs are fantastic, but it turns out the one egg that has more than anything else is the, you know, is the sturgeon is it, fish. Is, the it, is it still as expensive as it always was, caviar? Is it still just for uh, the rich and famous? You know, Probably. I haven't bought any. <laughs> you know. But I'll tell you... I mean, but okay, I but I, I, think, I think what we're really suggesting tonight is that generally speaking, as we've evolved as human beings, particularly over the last 100 years, because we've evolved yeah. more over the last 100 years, probably over the last 10,000 years, um, is that we have changed our diets. 
uh, parts of our body which were more useful for producing vitamin C seems to have abandoned us. Uh, and we need now to supplement that and we need to help our bodies to stay fit. That we, these viruses that we see, and COVID-19 is not the end of it. I, I you no. know, I'm, I'm sure we're probably going to have a COVID, you know, 27 and a COVID 32 and a, a COVID or whatever it yeah. is in the future. So, and we can't keep locking down economies in the future. We, we'll have to learn from this and how we handle this because otherwise the, the, we'll have just a global disaster. So realistically, we have to learn to protect our bodies. I, I, I'm not going to disagree exactly. with you because I think everybody knows that vitamin C is good yeah. for your body for producing antibodies to fight these things. But you're mm. saying basically we just need to take more of it and in a better way. Well, and but the, the specific thing, I mean, what happens is if I get the first sign of a cold or flu, any of those symptoms, I take one gram an hour. And I keep doing that until I have no symptoms. I ran my institute for optimum nutrition. Everyone has free vitamin C. If anyone comes down with a cold, other people load up. Now, all I can tell you is I've been doing this for 40 years. I've never taken a day off work. I think I can remember maybe three colds or flu that went on beyond 48 hours. So don't go out and take six grams every day if you're symptom-free. It won't work it won't make a difference i take a gram i take two grams every day that's what i do and i separate it out because it's water soluble you will ultimately yeah most of us get it when we do get it we get those little water soluble tablets taste like orange yeah Uh, yeah and it's better to have you know one twice a day than two in the morning because you, you, you you will lose it but the critical thing is that when you get the first symptoms of a cold or flu take one gram an hour and it works. It just works. And okay. there are lots of people who know that, and they will swear by it. And if you've never done that, just try it. Be your own judge. And there's a very, very, very good chance that that will stop this particular virus turning into you know, the nasty killer that it can become. And, and in relation to that, finally, Patrick, I mean, you've seen the world around us, how much it's changed. Um, and mm. They're talking about a permanent change. I think we're almost being socially conditioned to stay distant from each other now, which I don't mm. personally believe is a good thing for the future. I think it's a good thing for the moment, but, but certainly not for the future. And there's different theories about the way we should fight this virus in relation to lockdowns and social distancing. Yeah. You know, Sweden obviously have a different uh, strategy than we have, and other countries mm-hmm. are using different strategies. You do agree with the lockdown. Obviously, you're living in great Britain, which has been particularly badly affected because they have an older uh, an older population of 18% over the age of 65, um, which mm-hmm. makes it more difficult and also more densely populated cities as well. Um, but going forward, I mean, we all seem to be heading towards a target of a vaccine. Um, and OK, there's many companies around the world jostling to, because obviously whoever makes it first is going to make quite a substantial amount of money out of it. But they're all jostling for this vaccine. Um, There may not be a vaccine and we may have to live with this virus for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Swine flu has been around since the 70s. So are we are we are we looking in the wrong direction? I mean, mean, we don't seem to have an exit strategy, if you understand what I'm saying. You made a very good point. In the 19th and 20th century, there were actually 14 viral epidemics that killed in the thousands. In the first. The worst, I assume, is the Spanish flu. Uh, Yeah, exactly. And in this century so far in 20 years we've had 11 right so this is not the last time that this is going to happen and what's certainly true is that no vaccine has ever solved any of these um, flu epidemics for the very simple reason that you don't develop the vaccine it's reactive you know first the thing comes along then you try to develop the vaccine then you've got to test it and so on the closest we've got actually is Ebola Ebola vaccine, is, is, um, which is five years now in the making, still hasn't passed its safety test. But, but Ebola was never going to be a pandemic because Ebola being so dangerous killed its victims quite quickly so they didn't get a chance to well, spread it to too many people. Uh, and by the way, here's a fascinating thing. Um, who gets Ebola? And the answer is bats, monkeys, primates. Dogs don't get it. Goats don't and why, get it. By the way, why, don't, why doesn't the bat, who originally started this virus, allegedly, in Wuhan, if bats are spreading these viruses, which they seem to be from what we believe from you know, documentaries that we watch, yeah. why aren't the bats falling out of the sky? That's a very, very good question. Because, of course, they don't make vitamin C, so they should be suffering like we are. And there's an answer to this. And it turns out it's to do with interval training. Now, all you fitness fanatics out there, you'll know the best way to get super fit and have a really strong cardiovascular system and respiratory system is to do short bursts of intense exercise 
and then a lull. That's what's called interval training. Now, it turns out the bat is the only flying mammal, and when it flies, its heart rate goes up to a 1,000 beats a minute, and its temperature goes incredibly high. And it turns out that the bat is basically doing interval training and has an incredibly strong respiratory system and cardiovascular system. And it just doesn't really get affected by these respiratory viruses. But it does so spread it to us. Yeah. 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 Okay, so so, get, so getting back to the, the question I initially asked you in relation to our strategy, yeah. because I've only got a couple of minutes left, but in relation to yeah. our strategy, so most countries are adopting a lockdown strategy, what, yeah. with what seems to be without an exit plan, uh, yeah. a, a kind of wait and see plan, and that's kind of yeah. what we're all doing at the moment. Is, is, well, that, think, is, is that the right strategy, when, when basically well, there may not be a vaccine? Well, if you take Sweden, um, basically what they thought was, what normally happens in a, in a viral epidemic is that a percentage of the population um, get exposed, some asymptomatically, some get it minor, some get it more major. And once you hit a, a sort of critical percentage of people who have developed the antibodies, it's really over. And Sweden took the risk and said, you know, if we will do a bit of social distancing, but we're not going to lock down, and in other words, we, we don't want to not have this virus spread. We want to build up the the population's antibodies. Herd immunity. Herd immunity, exactly. Okay, which is almost a dirty word nowadays, by the way. It sort of is. Yeah, um, which which it shouldn't be, by the way, but but it is a dirty word. But Boris Johnson made it a dirty word, I think. Yeah, and they figured that even if it might cause a few more deaths in the short term, in the long term, they'd be protected. Now, like California has locked down. They've had very, very, very few cases. But it also means they've got a very low number of people who've developed the antibodies. And the big debate, and we'll know in the next few weeks, is how many people, for example, you know, in London or Dublin or whatever, have already got the antibodies. And once it's getting up to the, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent, then you're, you're starting well, to they, Well, they have predicted in a study in California, or was it California only yeah. about four weeks ago, that they reckon the number of people who actually have it is probably 60 times higher than we're actually predicting. We, we say yeah. 2 million. It could be actually yeah. uh, 120 million, which, which is, by yeah. the way, is really good news because that means the mortality rate is actually lower than we believe it actually is. Um, yeah. yeah. So the exit strategy, you believe, has to be a trickle of people. We slowly re- re- reduce the restrictions and let people go out and just get it. Is, is that well, the way we have to do it and also there's this critical point i mean to be honest the lockdown happened um one of the major motivations was they worked out the numbers which of course were completely wrong i mean we were told in, in oh, yeah, the uk well, it, was, it would be half a million yeah that's know, right and, and, well, that, and that, was, down that was oxford university wasn't it gave out those exactly. kind of figures, yeah which um, were completely and, off the mark yeah so the but the idea was don't you know over flood the health service you know that was the thing we we can't deal with that we've got a lockdown that was the point of it. But here's the point I'd like to make. And, of course, you asked the question, why on earth are we not giving intravenous vitamin C in ICUs? I heard in Galway they are, by the way. Um, I do think this is going to come in. But if this virus was not killing people, what would be our strategy then? That's really important because um, then the health service is not flooded. So you've got to go back to what the Chinese did. They actually acted, if you like, in a preventative way. And the fact that they haven't had a single death, you know, for a month is, is we should be... Well, 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 they're saying they haven't. But again, do we believe everything we're saying? I know you do, well, Patrick, I'm, but I'm I don't know whether talking, I do. I'm actually talking to people in the hospitals who run the ICU units. Well, well, listen, Patrick, it's been a wonderfully intriguing conversation. I've texted here, by the way. Can, I, can you ask Patrick what he thinks of pure C8 MCT oil for the brain? I've never heard of it. Right. That's Amanda. Do you know what that is, Patrick? I, I totally do. It's very good. Okay. That's, uh, I'll tell you what it is. Do you want to know? Yeah, go on. Basically, have you heard of these keto diets? Oh, keto. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so it turns out, I'll, I'll focus on the brain here. Your brain cells, neurons, can actually run on two fuels. One is glucose, sugar, like all our cells. And the other is a fuel that we actually make from fat in the liver, which is called ketones. So your body can, your brain can run on ketones. So if you ate no carbohydrate, but you had fat, your body will make a fuel that powers the brain very well. In fact, neurons, brain cells even prefer it. And those ketones 
are not just made from any old fat. They're made from a very specific fat, which is called C8, which is why this lady is asking about it. Mm. Uh, you can actually go into a health food shop and you can buy, it's called Keto Fast. It's pure C8 oil. It's, a, it's part of what's in coconut oil. Okay, uh, another question finally for you. How, well, there's loads of questions, by the way. I could be here all day. How good is Barocco for vitamin C? A Barocca, sorry. Uh, it's, <laughs> you're, you're better just buying, you know, straight vitamin C ascorbic acid. If you can find a vitamin C that also has some zinc in it, we haven't spoken about zinc, but zinc is really good for you. That's well, it's good for your nails and good for your hair and it's good for everything else as well. Well, it's, yeah. good, it's good for your immune system. Yeah. And by the way, one thing I really love, and it's just you know, the quirk of fate, is that because the bookshops are shut and the health food shops are open, um, all the health food shops in Ireland have got my book, Flu Fighters. So go to a health food shop, get the book, have a chat with them from a socially acceptable distance. Yeah. And they will tell you, you know, here is pure vitamin C, maybe with some zinc, you know, what to do. And study the book, learn, because like you say, there's two sides to this. Of course, we can go hunting for a miracle drug or a miracle vaccine, but you still have your own immune system. And if you can strengthen your own immune system, then, then whatever happens, you're going to be in a much better state. Okay. And we do know that most people can fight off these viruses and, and others can't. Why? And I would just argue it's all down to the strength of your own immune system. You are the promoter of your own health. We just need to learn a little bit. I spent the first three weeks of lockdown writing this book. It is absolutely bang up to date. Okay, well, look, I have loads of those questions. By the way, somebody wants to give out to you. Uh, I'm not going to get into it now. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll bring you on again at some point and we can talk about it again about vaccines because they said ask, well, he uses a derogatory term, about his support for Andrew Wakefield's lies uh, that autism caused uh, by vaccines. Um, and he goes on and on and on and gives me a link yeah, to the yeah. Wikipedia site. So look, I'll talk to you again about that because I don't want to fight with you tonight. So <laughs> in saying that, the book is called Flu Fighters and basically it's a book uh, which shows you how viruses work, where our weaknesses are as human beings and how we can prevent our bodies, I suppose, from not being able to fight viruses in general um, and, you know, and improve our own bodies as well. Listen, it sounds like a wonderful read and thank you very much for coming on the show and I appreciate it. Thank you. There you go, Patrick Holford. Uh, if you want more information about the book, I will put a quick link up to Patrick's name there on our Twitter account and also on our Facebook pound account and I will put a link up there about the book and he has numerous other books, by the way. Uh, he's appeared on British television, he's appeared all over the place talking about nutrition and how to make your body better. I suppose he is, I mean, look, in saying that, a lot of what he says, you know, he has a belief in a certain theory about how the body works. But there is absolutely no doubt and no scientific question about the fact that if your body is in good shape and your body has is the ability to produce antibodies, and certainly vitamin C helps that, there is absolutely no doubt about that as well, um, you're in a better position no matter what sort of virus you get, be it the flu, or be it COVID-19, or be it a common cold. Of course, your body will be in a better position. She, your mother told you that when you were a child, when you went out and got a cold and your mother would be lashing the halibut orange into you. Take some orange, quick, eat that, quick. Because you get vitamin C, and of course vitamin C helps to improve your ability to produce antibodies and fight viruses, and no doctor in the world would deny that. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic.